Hey everybody, welcome back to The Fin Factor. I'm Paul. And I'm Aaron. And this is episode number 107. Aaron, we just got done with a two-game series against the Vegas Golden Knights uh, back-to-back Friday, Saturday. Of course, today is Saturday night. And we lost both games. We took a point in the first game. And if you recall, last week, what did I say I'd be happy with? A point. I said I'd be happy with a point, considering we were one of the worst teams in the league going up against probably one of the best teams in the league. So that's what we ended up doing. Pulled out a point. Now, it's still a very disappointing loss tonight. And obviously, a disappointing loss on Friday. Uh, you know, this was reminiscent of a game we've seen before, Aaron. When the Sharks were down 3 nothing. Um, all of a sudden kind of coming back. Did it seem familiar to you? Uh, a little bit less, less so because there wasn't a five minute major to in the last, you know, what, six, seven minutes to, to get them back. But yes, very familiar where the Sharks kept fighting um, and eventually tied the game. Unfortunately, they did not win in overtime this time. Uh, we did not have, uh, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Barkley Goudreau to score the, the overtime winner. So um yeah, I was I was hoping for the win. I thought Timo Meyer actually he almost scored. He had a very good chance right at the very beginning of uh, overtime, but uh, he he couldn't put it away. I would have I would have been actually jumping for joy just just because stealing points away from Vegas always feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, it does. Uh, before we jump too far into uh, the uh, the show here, I want to just uh, let everybody know who's here right now. Again, if you guys could do us a favor, helping us get our name out there, promote us a little bit. If you saw the tweet that went out or the Facebook post or you're on Reddit, if you can just either retweet or share something to that effect, help us get out there a little bit. Maybe get some of your friends and family in on the action here as well in that comic session, getting it flooded. I think we're going to be taking some more comments tonight than uh, than doing a recap, really. So uh, if you can, take a moment and kind of push us out to all your friends and family. We'd really appreciate that. Thank you so much. So uh, having said that, you said Jones didn't look so good in this game. Now, I, I agree to a point, and I know you're saying three goals and eight shots is no bueno. Cool. Uh, I want to go over these again because I look beyond just the fact that the puck went in with the guy in the net, right? I, I, I kind of look at how the play like got to where it was and how the puck goes in. So if you take a look at the first goal, you got Kanijov and Eric Carlson both chasing the puck. And the pass comes right across the crease, like almost through the blue paint. I think it might actually have gone through the blue paint. It's very difficult for any goaltender to go post to post. And the guy's right there. I think it was, uh, was it Smith? It was Riley Smith, I think. He gets a really easy one-time tap-in on the cross-crease pass. I don't fault any goaltender for that. When both defensemen go chasing after the puck, that to me, well, first of all, Kanishov lost his man. And he tried to make up for it by rushing over to Eric Carlson and his side that he, that he was on, and that just left Raleigh Smith wide open. I, I really can't fault any goaltender in the league for that. And I know what it comes down to. Everybody's going to say the same thing. Oh, Paul's just apologizing for the goaltending again. No, I'm. Paul's analyzing the play. Paul's looking at what's going on and going, I just I can't say that, oh, it's the, it's the goaltender's fault. Now, am I saying that our goalies are phenomenal and it's all the defense, and if not for the defense, the goalies would be shutting everybody out? No, not at all what I'm saying. The goaltending is still not very good, but – I don't care which goalie you have in that situation. That puck's probably going in. Don't you agree? Uh, those first two goals, yeah, it's, that's hard to, to put on Jones. It's the third one for me that really did it. If if you want, if you want to skip ahead to that, okay. <laughs> if you want me to, unless you want to keep talking about those other ones, but um, that third goal, you have notes in here that Nieto was screaming him, but 
that was a, a very soft wrister from the blue line that slowly trickles in and he was slow to react to it. He should have definitely have had that. And even I believe Hedekin even said, oh, man, he that that's one that he wants back because that that's a bad goal right there. And to me, I think I feel like Martin Jones, whenever he's off, it's pretty easy to tell early on that he's off. And this was a for sure telling goal that he was off. That was such a soft goal. And I have no no qualms with him being pulled there. Um, I'm actually glad Bugner did it and didn't stick it out until the end of the period because that was all in the first period, I believe, wasn't it? Um, uh, so yeah, I, I mean the with that third goal, um, yeah, I'm I'm fine with him getting pulled as well. Whether it's his fault or not, obviously the team is not playing well around him. He's not responding, and he's not able to come with that big save. When you get three goals scored against you in in, in rapid succession like that, it's just one of those things where you know what, get the guy out of there. It doesn't it doesn't even matter if it's his fault. Just get him out of there. He's he shook. Um, so you're, I, I think you're right. I, I like that Bob Bugner put Dubnik in and Dubnik played really well. One note about that third goal though, is that Drew Remenda actually agreed with me. <laughs> so, uh, I, I watching the post, uh, that the intermission, he had said, yeah, Matt Nader did a really good job of, of screening Martin Jones on that goal. It's hard to fault him. So, you know, you've got a guy who played defense, uh, in the National Hockey League and Brett Hedekin, who was a you know Team USA. And then you've got a guy who was a coach in Drew Remenda, and they see it different ways. So I'm cool if you and I see it different ways and me and the people in uh, in Twitter and in the comments, maybe we see it different ways as well. And that's just the way that the game goes, you know. So some people are looking at one thing, some people are looking at another. And it's, it just is what it is. So one way or another, it, it's it's a combination of things that ends up leading to a goal. And no matter how whose fault it is, it starts it down 3 nothing. And then at that point, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, Devin Dubnik comes in. I think Bob made the right call there, obviously. And Dubnik looked like he was sharp. He played really well in that period there. So, um, you know, I think you have to know here that Jones doesn't get the loss, that Dubnik gets a loss. And that's unfortunate because if you take a look at the goals that were scored against, like the majority of them were when Jones was in the net. So if they had played the same way that they played all game long, had Dubnik started while Dubnik was in the net, then it would have been a game that the Sharks potentially would have won, right? So, but I mean, you know, it's neither here nor there because who knows what it really would have been like uh, if he had started or not. So, uh, but no, I agree with you. I think it was a good idea for him to put, uh, put Dunick in the net. Go ahead. Your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, there's a thing called the butterfly effect. So if Dubnik had started, the game would have been completely different. It's not like those goals would have been the same sequence of events that would have happened. So it's, you can't really just say, Oh yeah, Dubnik would have stopped it. It would have been completely different. Um, I, I thought Dubnik looked great. I think he looked sharper. Um, I mean, that, that's not really saying much about tonight's game. And, and again, before we get too ahead of ourselves, that, that wasn't, uh, there was a lot of goals that he couldn't really do much on, but I thought he looked good. They gave the sharks an opportunity. And for those that are, are questioning why Jones didn't get the loss, that's because, um, it was three, nothing when he left and the sharks scored three goals to cover that three goal deficit, basically. So once the sharks score three goals and even out exactly what Jones had let in, the next goalie who's in, Dubnik, uh, will take the win or loss um, if the Sharks won or lost. And in this case, they lost in overtime. So Dubnik gets hit with the OTL in his record. Um, but yeah, I thought, I think to me, I still think Dubnik looks better than Jones. I'm not saying Dubnik looks great every night because there are some nights where he does not look as sharp. Um, and vice versa, there's some nights that Jones looks sharp as well. Um, I mean, if you go back well, a couple games ago, Jones had a very, very strong game. So it, it's really tough. I think it's really tough for Bob Bugner to kind of figure it out. He's not 
so much a goalie whisperer to know which goalie to go with because I feel like he's just rolling the dice and it's not working most nights. But again, I'm not trying to blame the goalies. There's a lot of these are, are defensive lapses and um, team defense and, and everything else. But um, we've seen some soft goals going on both Jones and Dubnik in the in this season so far. So they're definitely not helping their case. Sure. Uh, Nicholas Egan here saying that uh, it's not Jones' fault. He might just need a different team. I hear Seattle is nice. Do you have a knife by chance, uh, Aaron, so we could spread that sarcasm around a little bit more? Uh, yeah, just a little. <laughs> very, very nice, Nick. Uh, so, yeah, in the overtime period, again, the Sharks make it to the overtime period, which is phenomenal. Uh, again, being down 3 nothing to have them climb back says a lot about the character and the hard work of the team. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Uh, this game, they definitely had it in the uh, the latter half really fighting back to get back into the game and it pays off with them making it to overtime, guaranteeing them a point. Aaron, you took exception with a play uh, that, that resulted in the goal against that one Vegas, the game it was a play from Brent Burns. You want to talk about that one? Yeah. If, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it or remember, but Brent Burns kind of, uh, it was, it wasn't so much a two on one, but it ended up kind of being a two on one where the forward was chasing um, the sharks forward was chasing back and, the guy with the puck and uh, he passed across and he was on his back end. they went over this in the post game too. I think it was, I think Scott Hannon went over this. Burnsy just kind of doesn't keep his head on a swivel and lets his guy go. Uh, he gets a wide open shot and he buries it on kind of like a, on one timer, essentially uh, coming across. Now Dubnik almost had it. He kind of, he comes across his goal and his pad comes up just a little bit and it comes up just where the puck is if his pad was all the way down or he had his paddle on his on the ice um he would have actually made that save and it was really unfortunate but burns really got turned around and was it was more of like his footwork to me was not the greatest in in covering and sliding across and taking away the position now i'm not trying to try to completely you know compare burns and carlson but i feel like carlson carlson would have played that a lot differently uh, his skating is a little bit better and his stick work is a little bit better. He would have been in a better positioning to stop that. Um, I believe it was uh, the defenseman coming in. You know, I'll look right now who got the assist on that goal. But um, uh, Petrangelo uh, was coming in on his backhand and he passed it to Pacioretty. So he's on his backhand. He can only do one thing. He's not going to shoot it, you know, and if he does shoot it, Dumnik's probably going to have it covered. So, Burns just did not have a good defensive game in that and totally gave up that goal. Um, again, not completely 100% his fault, but he could have prevented it very easily had he played it better. So I kind of wasn't happy about that. And that's just, it's frustrating because Burns is, to me, he's still an elite offensive defenseman, but his defensive work and everybody knows this is, is not better. But he also didn't go lay down on the ice. So better? <laughs> Improvements. I don't know. I don't know. He didn't do the snowman. The well, you know snowman. what? You know what hasn't really improved, uh, especially since Tomas Hurdle's been out, is the face-off draw percentages. I think you got in here that it was a brutal forty-three percent for the San Jose Sharks in the face-off dot. That's uh, yeah. that's that's that. It's really difficult when you're starting the, uh, every sequence without the puck, and whether it's offensive zone or defensive zone. It's really hard to get anything going when your team isn't starting with the puck. You have to constantly try to get it back. And it's not even just getting it back, getting it back from a team like the Vegas Golden Knights who are really good at possessing the puck. They were passing, even just tonight, they were passing the puck around the San Jose Sharks like they were just basically standing still. It was it was a very big difference in in 
in puck possession, especially tonight. And we'll get more of, a, of, of tonight's game later on. But you could definitely see that the Knights were kind of toying with the puck as the Sharks were fighting the puck to try to keep it on their sticks, uh, fighting the puck to try to make those passes. And there were many times where I saw Eric Carlson or anybody else making a pass up the ice, and it just, again, hits the stick and kind of explodes. So, uh, you know, to, to basically have it where you're basically battling every time you have the puck to even make a play, you don't even get the opportunity to do that as often as you'd like because you're not starting out with the with the puck in the first place. So really a rough night um, for for the Sharks, both last night and tonight. I mean, especially tonight, they didn't even score a goal and, and they couldn't make a pass and everything else was just going wrong. So, and I think a lot of that stems from, again, right off the, the puck drop. If you can't start with the puck consistently, then it's, it's going to be rough for you uh, trying to make anything happen in the offensive zone. So uh, you've got here Oscar Dansk uh, made his start, and he's the third-string goalie for the Vegas Golden Knights because Robin Leonard is injured. So he played on Friday, and, of course, Marc-Andre Fleury played tonight. Marc-Andre, obviously, the better of the two goaltenders, and he showed it tonight with a 4 nothing shutout. But uh, I thought Dansk played okay. I think he made some kind of boneheaded plays, especially the one that la, he tried to push the, the the boards and LeBanc kind of went in there and just kind of threw a stick out and bopped it in. That kind of tied the game up right there. So that sent us to overtime. So a play like that, I think Marc-Andre Fleury would not have made a, a weird play like that. Or, you know, maybe the better play is to just not even chase it, just to stand there because by the time LeBanc gets to it, he's got really no time to work with. So, you know, just a younger goaltender that's going to be learning more in this league and as he grows and gets better, I'm sure. So... Uh, something for him to look over on the tape there. Yeah, absolutely. And Dansk is probably, you know, he's mentored by a Marc-Andre Fleury. So Fleury's a very aggressive goalie. I feel like that was a pretty aggressive play. Kind of a 50-50 chance if you're going to get the puck. And it was very bizarre if you watch the replay in slow-mo how it actually played out because I think he swipes the puck away and uh, LeBanc barely gets a stick on it, but enough to stop it and then kind of push it towards the net. And Dank. Danks had a chance again to dive and he got a stick on it and almost kind of pushed it in towards the goal. So it was such a weird broken play that definitely was not written up by the sharks. The way that the, the puck went in off the defenseman when I think Burns passed it up and the defense got a stick on it. So it goes straight up in the air and kudos to LeBanc for really getting on his jets there and hunting down the puck and just getting a stick on it enough to, to guide it into the net. So um, unreal, unreal goal. So weird to watch. Um, I mean, that's something that, yeah, he should have just stayed in his net and waited um, or even just played it into the corner or something, just something different than what he did because it obviously didn't work. Um, but again, you know, sharks in their head, I guess, tying it up late in the game and forcing overtime. So <laughs> it was great. It, it felt like a win, even though they lost in overtime. It felt like a win to at least get that point and come from behind and force overtime. I'm okay did- with that. I'm okay with that rather than like the Sharks giving up um, the tying goal and then winning in overtime. Because then you're like, ah, well, you just gave the other team a point. You didn't need to. So it's a better feeling, I guess. Did you call him Danks? 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 Dansk? 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 D-A-N-S-K. Dansk. I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) Not going to work anymore. So, you know, it's funny, actually, that you say it can it feels like a win, right? Even though they lost, because that was the exact question I asked uh, Logan Couture in the postgame interviews there was, is this one of those games where, you know, based on the effort and all the things that you guys were doing right and the fight that you guys had coming back? Oh, literally the fight as well. I mean, we'll talk about that in a second here uh, with Logan. Uh, but, 
you know, is, does that one of those games that even in a loss, it can feel like somewhat of a win? And he immediately was like, no, <laughs> just no, because it, it sucks. It, it never it never feels like a win. Anytime you lose, it never feels good. And uh, I, I, was, I didn't mean to insinuate that it felt good, but I, I guess what I meant to say was there were small wins, little things you can take from it. But he immediately just shut it down. It's like, no, it's, there's no wins here. Um, so, you know, hey, man, good on Logan Couture. Uh, I, I really appreciate his candor. And, um, you know, he's, he's a great captain, uh, if you ask me. And he's great with the media folks. And not that I'm necessarily considered media folks, but uh, the, the guys that are in there uh, chatting with him and whatnot, asking the questions, he's always very candid and upfront and honest with them. Uh, but I did say we we're going to talk a little bit about Logan and the fight. So, um, you know, Pacioretty, I believe, is the guy it was. He was skating up the ice alongside Logan, and I don't know if Logan was about to go for a change or what the case was, but Pacioretty just kind of looked over at him and gave him a nice little shoulder, and it sent Logan flying because he wasn't really paying attention. I don't think that hit if Logan is expecting it, would knock him over. So Patrick was saying he was diving, right? But it, it just looked like he just wasn't expecting it and just kind of lost his balance from from a hit that he wasn't expecting. So, uh, you know, Logan took ex- exception to it, and uh, they go along the boards. Logan throws his gloves down and goes after him. Now, whether or not you think you're going to win that fight, who cares? The, the, the point is, is that you've got a guy who is your captain, who's the role model for the team, really, and everyone's looking to him to say, you know, I'm going to be fighting back for myself. I want all of you guys to go out there and give it your all as well. Don't just roll over to these guys and show some animosity, stand up for yourself, stand up for each other. Let's go out there and try to do this. Right. So it was just for me, an awesome captain moment from Logan Couture. Um, it's not something that you see from, from him all the time necessarily. And not something that you see from anybody on the sharks who doesn't have the last name of Kane or Gabriel. Right. So I'm, I'm proud of my captain. I'm proud of that he goes out there and he puts it on the line every single night and that he's willing to stand up for himself and stand up for his teammates. So uh, that, to me, that was just an awesome moment. And uh, Nicholas Egan actually had called that out, like the fight in Team Teal last night. Cooch had every right to go after Pacioretty. Absolutely, he did. Mm-hmm. Now, he took a penalty, but you know what the guys in the broadcast said? They said, that's a penalty I'm willing to kill every single night. You know, when the, the captain goes out there and takes a weird hit and he goes off after the guy that did it, and if he gets the extra penalty for it, then fine, so be it. I'm willing to, to kill that penalty. He did the right thing. So, um, you know, again, I think it's one of those things that the Sharks team looks to their captain and kind of, you know, it's like a pat on the back, a, a head nod. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's go do that, you know. So, um, again, proud of the guy for doing that. So, uh, thank you, Nicholas Egan, for for bringing that up. And it looks like uh, B-Rar, I can't, I don't know if that's how I'm saying it right, B-Rar 232 uh, totally agrees and uh, he hates Pacioretty. I don't hate anybody necessarily uh, unless it's Ryan Reeves. I don't really care for that guy. But um, no, I, I think, you know, it's it's definitely one of those things where, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that he stood up for himself. But before we get on to the next game here, I do want to say a couple things. Uh, one, for anybody who's in the chat right now, again, I said this at the top of the show, but I'm going to say it right now as well. Uh, please, if you can help us get our name out there a little bit more, get a few more people in the comment section here. If you've got friends and family you think would be enjoying the show as much as you are, uh, please go back to Twitter real quick and just retweet us or go back to Facebook and share us. Uh, get a few more people in here. That would be awesome, especially people that you know. You can spark that conversation with them as well. So that would be awesome. Really appreciate it. Also, I know a lot of you guys were asking for us to have a Venmo link, and Super Producer Jason just put it down here. I'm going to ask him to do it one more time. Our Venmo is at the Fin Factor. That way, you're not giving... Uh, any of the little proceeds that we would normally get for the show to the, uh, what do you call it, Aaron? The, the evil empire, the death star. What was it? 
I guess the Death Star, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, yeah, if you if you don't like the idea that some of uh, your contributions goes to, uh, you know, YouTube or somebody else, then uh, please go ahead and use the, the Venmo link there. We would truly appreciate that. Okay, now that that's out of the way, uh, Aaron, let's talk a little bit about tonight's game. This is the fifth game in eight nights for the San Jose Sharks, and Bob Bugner said as much in the post game, saying that this looked like a team that had played their fifth game in eight nights. What do you think? Uh, yeah, this team just did not look... Um energized whatsoever. I mean, I think I said this in the beginning of the season with the Sharks depth at forward, uh, they cannot afford to lose any of their top guys in tonight's game with Timo Meyer out. They're missing Timo Meyer and Tomas Hurdle. They looked listless. They looked like an AHL team and they pretty much were an AHL team surrounded surrounding Carlson Burns and maybe Kane. Like who else was really playing well tonight, you know? So a, a good team is not going to be able to, um, or a team like this is not going to be able to to withstand a very depth team, very deep team like Vegas. So it just looked bad. They looked tired. Their legs looked like they weren't moving. Um, they're going to need a break, and they're going to need some of their top guys back, uh, hopefully sooner than later. So it just it looked bad. It looked it looked like they were uninterested in playing. It looked like they were just going through the motions, kind of. Um, especially after about the, I think the second goal the, before the first goal was kind of like a downer. The second goal was really just deflating. And I think from that point on, it just seemed like, yeah, the sharks aren't going to be coming back after that. It's just not looking good. They didn't look good. I don't know. What did you see? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't see a team that looked disinterested. I saw a team that, you know, I, it was one of the post games with Brent Burns and, he had said, you know, it may look sometimes like we're not trying, like we're taking the night off or we're lost or whatever. But those sometimes are the, are the instances where we're trying even harder. And that's kind of what I saw tonight. I saw a team that was trying really hard, but having everything go wrong. Like they were, they were almost forcing bad things to happen upon themselves because they were trying too hard to do stuff, right? Um, we have those long passes from Eric Carlson that were exploding off of sticks. I saw a couple of those tonight. We had a lot of hope passes, ones where the guys are barely even looking and they just kind of flub at the puck to try to send it up to where an area where they think a guy might be. Uh, the what was it the second goal? I think it was uh, no, the maybe the third goal where uh, Burns kind of just fired the puck without looking, and it, I think it hit off of Logan Couture, and then they get the rebound and throw it in again. Something I can't blame Devin Dubnik for that. Like the the puck's bouncing all around him to clear the puck. Uh, but instead, you get this kind of hopeful swing at the puck by Brent Burns, and it goes nowhere other than to a Vegas Golden Knights stick and then the back of the net. So I have a hard time blaming you know, Dubnik for stuff like that. But, I mean, I, again, I see a team that was just Burns looking at the puck thinking, I got to get this out of here, right? He's got good intentions. I'm trying to clear this puck. I just want to get it away from my goaltender and save a goal here. Bam, hits off Logan Couture and then goes in the net, right? So... I saw a team that was trying almost too hard without really thinking about what was going on, right? Um, blind, blindly making plays and then having bad things happen to them. That's that's kind of what I saw. I didn't see a team that wasn't necessarily interested in the game. Okay. Um, I want to highlight some comments here. Nicholas Egan, the third period was NyQuil on ice. <laughs> I agree, man. <laughs> they were Dunskis. And Keith... He said, it looked like the Sharks were the ones that were kicked out of the Fairmont Hotel in San Jose. Oh, that's funny. You heard about that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, for those that didn't know, the Fairmont Hotel, which is where a lot of the teams end up staying, they, they usually choose that one or um, 
the one in Santana Row. Uh, I'm blanking on the name of it. But anyway, um, Fairmont Hotel declared bankruptcy yesterday. And so they they kicked out the Golden Knights. I think uh, after their game, they came back to, to their hotel and all their stuff was already like ready to go. So they had to move and, and switch hotels in the middle of the night after the game last night. Uh, so that's kind of weird and odd. And also, I'm going to be honest. Huh? I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I thought that would be an advantage for the Sharks. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. You would Honestly, think, I right? did. I did. I was thinking, okay, this, this team got kicked out of their hotel rooms. Uh, they, they have to go through, you know, whatever hoops to get into another hotel. Um, they're probably going to be up a little bit later than they'd like, mess with their routine just a little bit, right? Um, that's what I was hoping for. But, man, that was just not the case tonight. Man, I could just see Pete DeBoer probably just shaking his head. Like, good. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm out of there. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's see. We've got um, Chichu Train saying, finally, EK65 is on fire and the team can't win games. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if that was one of the guys that you had called out, Aaron, as, as playing well tonight. Uh, but yeah, I thought Eric Carlson had another really good game where he was passing the puck well, skating the puck really well, being elusive with the puck, stick handling all right. Uh, he may have caught the puck up a few times, yes, but again, you have to expect that that's going to happen with an offensive defenseman who's trying to push the play and get this game going for his team, right? So it's going to happen now and then, um, but I am glad to see the way that he's playing lately has been an improvement over the beginning of the season and actually a, an improvement over some of the stretches from the past uh, two years of him being on the team. Now there's a, a stretch where he was absolutely dominant, but for the most part, we've seen kind of lackadaisical play, like lackluster, really. Nothing that's kind of been the shock and awe that we've all kind of expected to have with Eric Carlson on the team. But lately, he's been playing a whole lot better, and I am happy to see that. So uh, there is that. Um, So moving on in this game here. So again, you've got uh, Timo out with a lower body injury, and you've got Hurdle that's out of the lineup. So it's 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 slim pickings right now. The the top line is the, the only line that's an NHL caliber line. Everything else is mostly AHL fill-ins or bottom line guys, the third, fourth line guys that are trying to play on the second line. It's um, it's it's not a good situation for the Sharks right now, and I just cannot wait to get Hurdle back, and hopefully Timo's back uh, sooner than later. But Gambrell, they had an interesting stat for Dylan Gambrell. He was actually leading the Sharks in the first period with three hits. Now, it doesn't seem like a whole heck of a lot, and it's only a stat for the first period, yes, but the fact that it's Dylan Gambrell uh, and it's the hits category is what's got me. And that, that shows me a little bit more about Dylan Gambrell uh, than I already knew. I, I, I knew that he was a guy that had worked a lot on his skating and his balance and his strength and puck protection and not getting pushed off the puck and being rock steady. Uh, you already saw that, and we were, I was very impressed with that. But now you're seeing, okay, he's willing to step up and throw his body around a little bit as well. Now maybe it's the Vegas Golden Knights team that kind of inspired that, or maybe it's the team around him that gets jacked up by the, the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, playing against this team. And it kind of just permeates down uh, throughout the roster, down to Gillen, Dylan Gambrell, who I don't know exactly how much he weighs, but it's a, it's not 200 pounds soaking wet. I don't think he's, he's definitely a smaller guy. So to have him go out there running around and hitting people, even if it doesn't do a lot of damage, you know, chip away a little bit here and there, slow him down. Same thing I like about Marcus Sorensen. One of the only things I like about Marcus Sorensen, to be uh, to be honest with you, but uh, you know, he's willing to go out there and and run his little body around and hit. Hey, I'll, I'm I'm all for it. And if Dylan Gambrell is going to follow in those footsteps and do the same thing, I'm all for it as well. I'm I'm, I'm proud of the guy. What do you say? Uh, yeah, I like his game. He's kind of well rounded, um, working more on his. 
I guess more of like his defensive and 200 foot game more than um, scoring. And to me, I feel like that's a good thing because his scoring touch, I think, is there. But he's focusing on other areas right now. And once he gets those nailed down, maybe we'll see a little bit more scoring uh, and stuff coming from him. But um, he's not expected to be a top line guy or someone who's going to score. So there's less pressure on him, but he's turning in. He, he Players like him are kind of like borderline NHL players. But growing up and in the AHL, he's probably one of those guys that's one of the top scorers. But when he gets to the NHL, he's just not quite there. He's not he can't get over that hump and he's not going to be in that. So he has to change his game and that's what he's doing right now. So I feel like he's turning into a very well third line center. That's going to be a guy who's very defensive forward and responsible. Um, and for me, like I'm sure he's, that's what he's focusing on this year to solidify his spot for next year. Um, next year when the sharks, I mean, there's a question here about, I think in the very beginning, <laughs> let me go find it. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Now I can't find it, of course. Uh, oh, right here, Dr. Hook, in the very beginning. Can you guys think of a timeline of when we'll be competitive again? It's looking like it might be a year or two away. Maybe we're two years away from being two years away. Brutal <laughs> losses. <laughs> but, uh, there, that's a very good question, actually, because to me, the Sharks, they're definitely not a playoff team this year. They're not making it. And going into the season, I kind of said that they could be a playoff team. I wasn't ruling it out completely. They just needed a lot of things to kind of go their way. One of them not being injured or being on COVID and look where we are now with hurdle and Meyer out. Um, and even we missed Carlson for a couple games there a week or two ago. So it's just the cards weren't there to me. This is like another, I want to say reset season, but kind of a, a, since it's a shortened season to 56 games. And even if they play that much, there might be some that are rescheduled or, or postponed that won't get replayed. Um, it's kind of like an, a, a long look at your younger guys. I think as we even get closer towards the end, we're going to see more guys get rotated and who knows who's going to get traded by the deadline or even before the deadline. Um, and again, the good thing to me that the sharks are going to be so far out that they will be a seller. I feel like there's going to be so many teams that are so close and within striking distance of making playoffs that they're going to be more buyers than sellers. So that's better for the teams that are lower looking to get rid of some assets and getting in some draft picks or prospects or somebody coming back. So to me, I feel like this season, thankfully Santa Clara County is not going to allow, actually that might change by the end of the season, but they're not allowing fans. So there's not going to be a lot of fans. If you're going to so-and-so tank in a season last year and this year is the best year to do it because there's no fans there to boo you on the ice. So it's not going to be as bad. This year we have our first round draft pick. We'll probably accumulate more draft picks by the by the trade deadline. So it's a good year to see where you're at, see what sticks, maybe move a piece or two here out. And then next year, and then you have the Seattle draft coming. So a player is going to be gone. You're going to lose a player. That kind of spreads out the uh, the the cap hit for every single team in the league. So there's going to be more player movements. This year is kind of going to be a little bit stuck because so many teams are up against the cap. But next year it's going to open up more. Um, and who knows what you'll see because we did see trades when when uh, Las Vegas joined the league. Uh, the GM was making trades before the draft to kind of get some players and picks and whatever else. So I think this year is a transition year. Next year is going to be more competitive. Uh, depending on who leaves and how much cap space we have, 
they'll be able to bring in some, maybe not high-end free agents, but mid-level, at least a guy who can be a solid second-line winger. Um, so to me, I think we're still a year away from making playoffs. I think next season there's a better chance, obviously, than this season. But I can see next year being a lot stronger chance than the beginning of this year. Yeah, I can agree with that. Absolutely. I think this year it's I don't want to put the dagger in it necessarily like you already have. But yeah, it's not looking good at all. Um, I'm the team can't. This. What's that? I'm done with this season. <laughs> no, I mean, the team can't sustain the same record, obviously, and make the playoffs. So um, they they would need to get guys healthy and back and everybody clicking again. Uh, if anybody I think could could get the team working well together, it would be Bob Bugner. I have no, I have absolute faith in Bob Bugner that he's made this team a better team than in what it was. Uh, unfortunately, that just isn't translating on the ice with wins and goals and everything else. But I do think that he's done a good job of uh, getting them to gel and, and play well uh, together, play for each other at least. So uh, at least better than last season, the way that it ended. So. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with the rest of the season. Uh, I think I'm, I'm with you, though. They're they're most likely not going to be a playoff team, and that's okay in, in a season where, you know, like you said, it's it's a shortened season. There's no fans anyway, uh, so there's no real revenue for them to be getting. Uh, if they're, like you said, if there's any any season that you want them to tank in, this seems to be like the right pick, right between any of the other ones. So, um, so there's that, but. Uh, finishing off this game, let's just do that. Uh, Dubnik in this game for me was just okay. Uh, I see, I see goals two and four as him seeing the shot and him just getting beat. And sure, put those on Dubnik, absolutely, one hundred percent. That second goal, I think it was Tuck, right? He sniped that one in the corner. Yeah, beat him the left side. That's, I think that that shot's going to beat most goalies. I can't really, I mean, yeah, he got beat. He got beat one-on-one on a very nice shot. And again, we go back to what we said before, like there's elite shooters in this league and Tuck is one of those guys who just absolutely sniped that puck into the corner, beat him glove side. Most goalies aren't going to save that, but go on. No, sure. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is it's not as if there was a defensive breakdown. We'll put it that way, right? It was not as if, Again, like the Burns one where he just kind of fires the puck, hoping to get it out without with just blindly you know, letting the puck go. And it hits Couture, bounces off right into the front. And I think it was Tuck, it just bangs it in. And it's like, as a goaltender, you're going, man, there's nothing I can do about that, right? Now, on the shot that just beat him, yes, it was a phenomenal shot. Absolutely, 100%. And I'm not saying necessarily he should have that one all the time, but that goal is definitely on him. Nobody else messed that play up, right? That's my point. Nobody else on the ice could have done something differently uh, to, to, to stop that play from happening. That was just defense was in their position, not allowing them inside. He took a shot. It was a great shot and he just missed it. So um, yeah, I, it, he still, for me, gets the blame for that goal, right? Uh, regardless of if any other goaltender would have saved it. There's, there's no other person on the ice that you can point to and say, man, they should have done something differently here, right? So for, for me, again, goals two and four were just shots that beat him. He was set. He was ready. He was there. And he just didn't get the puck uh, for one reason or the other. Goals one and three were the ones that were, uh, I think goal number one was the one where it was like passing back and forth. And he had to go stretch from one side to the other side and then try to get back. And that's just one of those ones where, again, I don't care what goal you are. You're probably not saving that. And that's, uh, I think it was Burns was the one that kind of got caught up ice. That led to a two-on-one and Ferraro took the uh, the the pass instead of where the the shot came from. So 
again, just one of those things where I have a hard time blaming the goaltender on, on that one. But hey, if four goals went in tonight and we didn't score any. It doesn't matter if you score one goal against. You're not going to score any games if you put up a goose egg, right? So anyway, I thought Dubnik was okay tonight. Now, going back to your previous statement about you think Dubnik is better than Jones, I agree. I think Dubnik is the better goaltender right now. I think Jones has got a better record, obviously. But I think Dubnik has been a little bit more consistent in his play. I think he's made some bigger saves. And I think he's a guy that maybe should get a little stretch of games uh, over Martin Jones right now. Not because Martin Jones is terrible, but because we haven't really seen Dubnik in a stretch of games yet. And I think Kevin Kurz had said the same thing. You know, I think it's time for Devin Dubnik to get a few games in a row here. So I don't know. We'll see. It was, again, four goals against. But I think when Bob goes back and looks at the tape and says, okay, these goals here, maybe we can't really say, any, you know, regardless of which goaltender we had, those are probably going in and we need to do a better job defensively. Um, I think if he if he goes back and watches the tape, which I'm sure he will, he'll kind of realize that. And then hopefully he'll say, you know what, Devin, you didn't really play that bad last game. I'm going to give you another shot in this next one here. Because uh, they do have some time off. I believe the next game is uh, against St. Louis on Monday. So there's a, a couple days. Two days. So hopefully we'll see. Maybe he gets a, a little bit of a, a couple stretches of games in a row. Maybe they you know, get Monday, Friday, and then let Jones play on Saturday. That'd be good. I don't know. But um, in any case, you know, again, I, I'm with you. I thought that the the play from the Sharks was kind of lackadaisical um, in some parts. But I felt, again, that this wasn't a team so much that was disinterested, but that they were trying too hard and they were just making mistakes, a mental mistake. And I just thought that at the last part of the game there where they were on the power play, that was the best stretch of a minute and 20 seconds in the entire game. It was that last minute and 20. They they had Vegas stuck in their zone for a minute and 20 seconds. And for that for that stretch of 80 seconds, I was like, really like, oh man, this team is uh, this team's got it right here. Right. They, they've they've got the juice. Uh, right here. And it's unfortunate that it was just for that short period of time. But again, it's a flash of what this team can do. And it's not like they started the game with that and then got tired. They played the entire game. They were already tired, and then they turned it on at the end there. So, I don't know. I mean, this is a team that, yeah, they don't have the names on the roster, and they've got a lot of youth, and they've got a lot of inexperience on the team, but they can turn it on at times. And we've seen that against other teams. You know, even even the game before where they went to overtime with the Vegas Golden Knights and ultimately lost, but they pushed it to overtime after being down 3 nothing. So, I, I mean, I don't know. There's This is a team that has the ability to push back. It's just that they, they can't do it consistently, uh, unfortunately. So, again, this is going to be a year where I think the Sharks grow a little bit as a team and uh, the, the younger guys get some more experience. And then I think you're right. The next season, you know, we're going to lose a couple guys here and there, either to free agency or to the, the expansion draft or to some trades maybe at the deadline here. And uh, we'll come back a different team. and We'll see how they play then. So, uh, I don't know. What did you think about the very end of the game? Do you think they at least gave a little bit of a push during that power play? Absolutely. But again, this goes back to what we've been saying, I feel like, all season, is they have not played a full 60-minute game like that. Um, I think a couple of games ago they did, but that's about it. Um, yeah, they looked great, but it was already 4 nothing. so I'm sure Vegas wasn't even really pushing. I mean, at that point, they're just trying to preserve the shutout, and I thought for sure the Sharks were going to score and and spoil it, and of course they did not. Um, Nick Anthony Sanchez has a great comment here. Every time the Sharks make a mistake, it ends up costing the Sharks a goal. I absolutely agree. I feel like every team has capitalized on Sharks' mistakes uh, almost more so than creating their own offense and beating goalies straight. It's more of a turnover. Um, and they're like daggers because they happen at bad times. And then we see uh, the Sharks giving up goals in bunches as well. 
meaning that they they get scored on, and then the next shift or two later, they're getting scored on again. So the goals come within a minute or two of each other. Um, that really hurts, man. It, it, you're just digging a trench bigger and bigger to get out of. And we know the Sharks are not as offensive talented as they used to be, nor as other teams. And so it's going to be very difficult for them to do what they did last night and be able to tie up a game like that. So, um, yeah, I, to me, that this game this game is capitalizes uh, or epitomizes. I don't know the word to use the season. Like it's just it's just not there. This, this team is just not there for me. Fair enough. Uh, you know what is there? These uh, these pride shirts are there in the SJ uh, Pro Shop. So uh, why don't we put the graphic up on this one here? There it is. Uh, The uh, hockey is for everyone. The T-shirt, it's a limited edition shirt. Now, all the proceeds for this benefits Silicon Valley Pride. They come in sizes small, medium, large, extra large. It's $10 for shipping should you choose to do so, but you can just pick it up. And they are available at Solar for America Ice in the Ice Pro Shop. Uh, they are a limited availability March 2021 20, or until they are sold out. I imagine they're going to sell out pretty quick. So I'm sure these things are pretty popular. Uh, and they are $29.99 available at sjteamshop.com. If you are interested in supporting Silicon Valley Pride, this is a great way to do it. And you get a nice shirt for it as well. Uh, Aaron, do you happen to have one of these yet? I do. I picked it up on, uh, what was it, yesterday? Two days ago. I went to... Uh, I ordered mine online and then went to the store and picked it up instead of getting it shipped over here. So, and here we go. I have it on. And I think it's <laughs> screwing up my green screen. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's great. I like it. Uh, it's a nice shirt. And it was, you know, it was interesting going into uh, seeing what's going on over there because it was major construction going on at, uh, at the ice center. Um, I think we showed a live camera of, of, uh, construction before when we had Jonathan Becker on um, of uh, the construction for the new arena they're building for the Barracuda. So uh, it looks great. And I mean, there's not much there yet, but I mean, it was the roads, everything. There was a lot of construction. I brought my daughter with me and went to go pick it up. And so she was excited to see all the big trucks and everything. It was pretty nice, but yeah, it, it was exciting to be inside, even if it was under mask and getting, you know, all the COVID stuff where they take your temperature and answer yeah. all these questions and then you just stand there and they go get it for you. But it was nice to be inside and you could see the ice, a couple of the ice rinks and and kind of get that cool feeling and like the cold refrigerated feeling that you're in an ice rink area. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I know for sure. Actually, I, I showed up and uh, I, I got mine as well. Uh, my green screen probably won't, won't jack up like yours. But uh, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, that's what it looks like with all the wrinkles on it. Uh, really nice. I, I really do like it. And then on the back, as you guys saw in the picture there, now, my green screen is taking away the green <laughs> in there and it's making it teal. Uh, but it's a, it's a green stripe and a yellow stripe that's uh, above that there. So, yeah, hockey is for everyone. Uh, 21, obviously, uh, 2021. So that's what that's all about. And, yeah, I, I think, again, it goes to a really good cause. So, uh, again, if you're interested in supporting Silicon Valley Pride, a great way to do it, go ahead to sjteamshop.com and pick up that shirt. Again, $29.99, you can pick it up at Solar for America Ice in the Ice Shop and the Pro Shop. Or uh, go ahead and pay the $10 extra for shipping and they'll ship it right to your home. Uh, I do want to call out Lundy here 
saying uh, for two ninety nine in the super chat. Thank you, Lundy. Uh, I hate seeing Wild do better than Sharks. I hate seeing anyone do better than the Sharks, but you know what? This is the season that's going to happen, buddy. There's not many teams that are going to be much worse than the Sharks have been uh, so far. So, yeah, just one of those things. But, yeah, no, I I, uh, I feel your pain. I know you're uh, the, the guy who hates the Minnesota Wild more than anybody else. So, um, I'm sorry for you there, Lundy. <laughs> thanks for the two ninety nine. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. I had to change my shirt out because it was, it was reflecting too much light back. <laughs> it wasn't turning my <laughs> Um, it's so bright. It's such a bright shirt. Um, Certainly. Yeah, people are asking a lot about Eichel trades and Buffalo because Buffalo is also doing terribly. There was a comment in here about uh, uh, where is it? Are the Sharks worse? Oh, which package deal for Jack Eichel? Absolutely not. I would not. I wouldn't move that first round pick for anything. I'll say that. Would you? Okay. So don't do it. It's Jack Eichel. No. Nope. Doesn't matter. I do it. Doesn't matter. Wait, 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 wait. Actually, hold on. I don't do it. Here's why. How much does Jack Eichel make? Thank you. That's why. Yep. Let me, uh, I'll take a look real quick, but uh, too much money. I'll say that because we'll have to move a lot. He's making $10 million a year. Uh, nope. I don't do it. Not doing it. You no. can't do it. Unless you're moving a giant piece out like Carlson, which isn't going to happen. If if you if you can convince Carlson to go to Buffalo and maybe he'd go, here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Because if you're trading Jack Eichel away, all of a sudden Eric Carlson is the premier player in Buffalo, like he was in Ottawa again. Yeah. yeah. Well, Darlene, I guess. Yeah, Darlene is the up and comer, and that's true. Ah, Twenty. Years I still don't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. Now it's interesting about about Buffalo is to me someone asked if if Buffalo is worse than the Sharks or the Sharks are worse than Buffalo. I think the Sharks are worse than Buffalo because Buffalo is in a much tougher division. To me, the the West Division, I think is what it's called, right? The Bank West Division that we're in. Honda West. Honda West, thanks. Um, to me, that one is uh, there's three guys, three teams that are at the top that are for sure at the top: St. Louis, Vegas. And Colorado. Um, the fourth one's kind of for grabs. Minnesota's making a good, strong case that it's going to be them. But I feel like it's kind of up for grabs, that fourth spot. Where Buffalo's at, no way. They're not even close. They're, they're Even though they're a good team, they're still like the sixth best team in that division. So it's just, it's just not, they're not better than the other teams. They're still a good team. But they really, they, you know, the Sharks really kind of hamper themselves with some of these contracts. But Giving uh, Jeff Skinner that contract is brutal. He's making nine million dollars for seven more years. That's to me. That's a contract that they're going to try and get out of. And thinking maybe there's a trade. Maybe maybe we can work out a trade with the Sharks where we trade Vlasic for Skinner. Then we get a good left winger. I mean. My point is, like, if we're going to be able to trade one of our top guys, we're going to have to get something back like that. And then you expose them in the draft. Yeah, no, no. I don't I don't take on a $9 million Jeff Skinner. I'm sorry. Uh, unless all of a sudden, a change, unless a change of scenery is really all the guy needs. No, I don't uh, want Skinner. I'm just saying that something similar like that, like if the Sharks are going to trade one of their big guys, I think, a contract like that, a bad contract that's going to come back to the Sharks is the only way they're going to be able to move one of Burns, Vlasic, or 
anybody else. Okay. And honestly, though, again, if you're talking about nine million for seven more years, you're trading a bad contract for a worse contract. I don't I, think that you want to put yourself in a worse hole. I'm not saying they're going to get Skinner, and I don't want them to get Skinner. Yeah, okay. A Skinner-like contract, maybe like a three-year instead of a seven-year. I mean, that's so bad. When he signed it, everyone was like, "What are you doing, Buffalo? That's terrible." And then they got Taylor Hall, and he's just not. He's making eight million, but only for one year. It was it was weird that Taylor Hall went to Buffalo. That that was another one everyone's kind of scratching their heads at. You know why though? Taylor you know Hall. why? Yeah. Why? You know why? Here's why. Because he plays for a team that he knows is not going to make the playoffs, and then he gets to pick which team he gets traded to because it's on a one year contract. And then he gets to go to a contender. Yeah, because he has a no movement clause, which he'll just wave. <laughs> it's like Skinner also has a no movement clause. Oh. Yeah, that's no bueno. Uh, you know, hey guys, for as much as you want to knock Doug Wilson and his bad contracts, that one there takes the cake. I'm sorry, worst contract in the entire league. Honestly, it's got to be because he was getting benched. Healthy scratch. Yeah, you're healthy scratching nine million. <laughs> yeah, no, no bueno. Okay, um, I don't know. I'm gonna let you pick the next topic here. I don't know if you want to talk about which one of these or, or all of these. Go ahead and grab one. Uh, sure. Let's just talk about this real quick. What are your thoughts on the reverse retro jersey that were the Sharks were in the last two days? Fire. I love them. Uh, I know a lot of people don't. I, I and It looks like you're one of the guys that doesn't. I love them. Um, I That to me, the second generation jersey was one of the best ones. I really like the design of it. I like the way that there's like kind of the angle that comes down, like the little triangle point that comes down on the uh, past the arm there. So uh, I, for, for me, I thought, I thought they looked great. And I love the way that the logo kind of hops off of the gray there. Um, it looks really nice. It's a nice contrast to not just having the teal or the white or the black armor that we've seen before, having that gray there. Uh, the only other color they could have gone with, and they were considering it at the time, was the orange. Uh, but they felt that that kind of encroached on the Barracuda's orange territory there, I think. So um, having them put it on the gray, I thought it just, it just looks phenomenal. The only thing, the only thing I didn't like about those jerseys uh, was for the broadcasters. They're saying it was very difficult for them to read the numbers. And as soon as they said that, I had a hard time reading the numbers. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think other than that, I think the jerseys look phenomenal. Now, obviously, you take exception with that comment, so fire away. I like the jerseys. I think they look great, and I think they look great in person. I don't like them on TV. That, okay. That's what I don't like about it. I think the the gray doesn't pop as much as I thought it would. I think it looks a little dull, and the numbers choice was poor it, when you, you can't read the numbers and you can't really tell what it is. I'm not a big fan. That's what I didn't like about it. I like, I like the other, the 30th anniversary Jersey that they use the teal one, the throwback one to me, that's probably my favorite one. I like that better than the blacks. I like it better. That's my favorite Jersey. I'll say that. That's my favorite Jersey. Even, even more than the, uh, the blackout Jersey, I think is the other one. I mean, there's a lot of jerseys out there, but stealth or the stealth. Sorry. Um, I like the teal one. That's my favorite. The retro teal one. Very good. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I mean, uh, I'll probably still get one. Uh, I haven't had a chance to do it yet, but I'll probably still get one of those, the reverse retros. I, I really do like them. Um, but I don't know. In terms of favorite jerseys, gosh, I have a hard time not saying the uh, the black armor, not the original uh, that had this, I think it was the second gen uh, jersey where they had the black armor, but the one where it's, um, the the fourth generation, I guess, uh, jerseys that they had the, that the original like black armor before the stealth. I, I like that one a lot too. So uh, that would probably be one of my my favorite, if not my favorite jersey. 
Um, but moving on from that, let's see if there's anything in the comments here. Guys, was the Sharks organization biggest mis- misstep getting EK65? That was it. That's what broke the team. I don't think so. I don't think it's Eric Carlson himself. I, you can argue the money. You can argue the money might have had uh, an effect breaking the team, but I don't think Eric Carlson himself had the effect of breaking the team necessarily. Not that's to say that the team's even broken. I don't even know that the team is necessarily broken. We've just we've just got a lot of guys that are inexperienced, and we we can't seem to put it together on the ice, right? Uh, when you talk about a team that's broken, you think of guys that just can't play well together who are all professional NHL caliber players, right? I remember a long time ago, Vancouver had a team that was stacked in terms of the names that they had, but they just could not win a game. Um, This is many, many years ago, but that's what I think of when I think of broken, right? Um, Something has to be together and working properly for it to break. So I don't think this team was ever kind of together and working properly. We we had lost a bunch of guys in the process. And again, maybe some of that has to do with the money that Eric Carlson was offered, but I don't think it has to do with Eric Carlson himself, uh, if that makes any sense. Go ahead, Aaron. Well, I'm going to Lundy's funny comment of losing Braun is what broke us. Now, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think the Carlson trade is what broke us. I think what broke us is the re-signing of Carlson because the re-signing had the conditional draft pick that went with it. That's what I think hurt. I think when the Sharks traded for Carlson, we had him for that whole season. They went all the way to the almost the finals, basically. Like they just they almost got to that point. So I think um, the re-signing is what broke it because the contract is bad, too much money. If you took off another two or three million off of that, I think that would be a much better contract. If he if he was let's say eight or nine million, I, I would be happier with that. Um, only because of the depth, the depth problems. Um, so I think it was more of the re-signing of Carlson, not so much the trade to get him for that one season, for that one last final season of his final, of his original contract. Um, the re-signing and losing the draft picks and all the conditional stuff that went with it, that's what really hurt. That's what hurt the team. If there weren't any of those conditional stuff and we just re-signed them, no problem. I think it would have been fine. Okay. Uh, there's there's two comments I got to call out. One, Nicholas Egan. I think Paul is okay with the Sharks not getting Stutzel. That tape job would drive him crazy. Yes, absolutely. That is a goofy tape job, and I wish we had a picture of it. But um, it? here's the thing. Again, on that one, Nick, we don't know if we would have had that pick, right? Because if everyone thinks that we would have been a better team had Eric Carlson not been a part of it, and we re-signed Pavs, and you know Jumbo never left, and you know all everything was sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns then maybe we would have been a better team. We wouldn't have had that pick. So for everyone saying that, oh, we could have had Stutzel. No, we not necessarily would have had him. You're there Again, Aaron, like you said, butterfly effect, right? Mm-hmm. So um, for, to, to say that we wouldn't necessarily have that guy, it's, it's just not true. We just don't know that we would or wouldn't have that guy. So uh, would it be great if we did? Yes, absolutely, 100%. But the, the fact is we just we don't and we we may or may not have so who knows um but that's the one thing i wanted to say there but then uh, matt f says bad drafting broke the team i i have a hard time with that one too matt i'm gonna be honest with you because again the sharks have drafted in probably the the highest position highest being uh you know later in the round over the past i don't know how many years we've averaged like the the one of the worst draft positions uh, throughout our in the past like decade or whatever it's been, right? So whether it's a bad drafting, I don't know that that's the case. I think that, that we were very limited 
in the guys that we were able to pick because all the really good players got picked right away. Now you can look back and say, okay, but you know, pastor not got drafted late or, or, you know, this guy or that guy got drafted late and we missed him. Yeah. So did every other team that didn't pick him though. There's a lot of diamonds on the rough that you just don't see coming. Look at Pavelski for instance, right? Jamie Ben is another good one. So there's going to be guys that get drafted later on. And it's not because everyone else, uh, you know, just passed up on him. They knew how good he was going to be and they passed. It's because some of these guys just kind of come out of nowhere. And every single team, 30 of the other 31 teams are going to pass on that guy for round after round after round. And they're all going to look back and go, man, we could have had him. It's not just the Sharks, right? So I don't know if it's bad drafting so much as bad positioning. And then guys just kind of sort of come out of nowhere. So I don't know. I don't know if I 100% agree with that one. Um, It would be nice if the Sharks had a guy that came out of the second, third, fourth round that kind of lived up to some expectations that they had about him. But I think we do have a couple guys in the pipeline that are really exciting. Bortolo is definitely one of those guys. We've talked about Merkley ad nauseum, but uh, there's there's a few guys that I think you can look at now and say, you know what, he could be something pretty interesting. Ozzy Weisblatt's another one. So, well, you know, we'll see how that goes. I think it's too early to tell on the most recent draft picks, obviously. But I think you're right in a sense that there haven't been a lot of guys coming out of the draft that we have picked that have really impressed Lately, at least, but I don't think that's necessarily the MO. I think a lot of times Doug Wilson will trade away some of those picks to get assets, but then he'll go to the European markets and pull guys in. Remember, Jonas Donskoy uh, was a guy that they were able to pull in, and he was a big part of this team. So that's not a guy that you had to waste a draft pick on. You just went out to the European market and, and signed the guy, right? Uh, same thing with Han- Handmark, Handmark, and Melnichuk. Same thing, right? These are guys that they weren't part of the draft. We went out and we just grabbed. Right. So I think that there's more to it than just the drafting aspect of it. You also look into the other markets where maybe the guy hasn't entered the draft, but then you offer them a job with your team and sometimes it works out. Right. So we'll see the jury still out on Melnichuk and gosh, um, uh, Hanemark. I think they had high hopes for him again, 27 year old that they signed to a, it was a one year contract. So, and, and Kurz had made a comment, you know, you probably don't sign this guy unless you think he's ready for NHL action at 27 years old. So, I mean, we'll see. Maybe he has a little bit more development to do, but again, he's coming from a European market. So maybe he just needs some time on North American ice. He plays a season with the Barracuda, see how he does there, if he can adjust. Maybe the next season they give him an extension and he plays with the Sharks. Who knows? So, um, you know, there's 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 more to it than drafting, I guess, is, is kind of what I'm getting at there. So, uh, there's that. Aaron, uh, there was something else. Should we do roll call right now? Is that what you'd like to do? Yeah, let's do the roll call. Tell us where you are watching and if you like that reverse retro jersey or not. So tell us about that. Okay. Um, here's a good comment here from Anthony Sanchez. For the Sharks to move forward and be successful in the future, we need to replace Summers at the AHL level. We need to coach and develop players with a high-tempo scheme, stop, dump, and chase. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think um, – by the time the players are at the AHL level, you're not going to be really teaching them skills. Their skills are kind of set in terms of um, offensive skills. I think what they're trying to do is hammer in the 200-foot game on most of those guys. Because you could take a raw prospect like Merkley, who has all the offensive skills in the world but can't play a full 200-foot game, and to get to the NHL level, you're going to need that. So I I feel like that's why they're doing the dump and chase partially because of that and partially because they don't have the personnel to, to possess the puck other than Merkley right now at the AHL level, because the sharks haven't had that many prospects come through um, high level prospects. So I think I don't, I have no problems or qualms with, with summers in there. I think he's doing a phenomenal job because take a look at how many 
how many players the Sharks have drafted past the third or fourth round that have made the NHL? It's probably the most out of all 31 NHL teams in terms of how many late draft picks have actually made it to, to the to the show and stuck around. I mean, obviously Pavelski is the number one guy because he's played so many games, but there's so many others that have made it to the NHL. There's so many first, second, third round draft picks of other teams that have never made it to the NHL. So I don't have a problem with him. He's not going to turn a bunch of prospects into, you know, blue chip level prospects to get to the NHL. That's just not what he's going to be doing. And nobody's going to be doing that. There's no one to replace him with that would be doing that. So I don't have a problem with it. Um, what about you? What do you think? You got thoughts on that at all? I, I think it I, it would be fair to me for me to give a assessment or judgment on that. I don't I don't watch enough uh, AHL hockey to really say whether or not I think that there's a coaching issue. However, I will say that Roy Summer has been probably the, I think the longest standing AHL coach of all AHL coaches. Now, whether that means he's only good enough to be an AHL coach, or whether that means he's very good at his job. The Sharks don't seem to have a problem with him being there, and I, I'm not going to argue with the guys that know their team, their prospects, and their coaching staff, uh, and their staff in general, uh, better than anybody else. So uh, if they feel that there's a change that's required, I'm sure they'll go ahead and make that change. I think Roy has done a phenomenal job uh, with the Barracuda for as long as he's had them, and considering that, again, the, the drafting and whatnot, they don't get guys that are at the top echelon, right? They get guys that are in that third, fourth round. Um, and some of the top guys that they've had that tried to play in the NHL, think of guys like uh, Goldobin or guys like, uh, what's his name? Um, the defenseman, I can't remember his name now, but uh, Mueller, Mirko Mueller. You know, you look at those guys and, you know, they kind of had their stint maybe, but then they played in the NHL and they weren't good enough and then they got they got traded away, right? So it's not like he's really had guys that couldn't make the NHL, but then came back down to the AHL and really did a good job helping that team play well. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if he's if he's a problem down there or not. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see if they make any changes over the, uh, the course of the end of the season here. Uh, I, my inclination is that they won't, but... You know, who knows? Everyone's time has to come to an end at some point. I just feel like Roy Summer's time is going to come to an end when Roy Summer decides he's done. Or when maybe he gets an NHL coaching um, opportunity. Who knows? Uh, Anaheim. Paul, I think I did a Gretzky hour with you a long time ago. You told a funny story in the locker room. It very well could be. Uh, If it's family friendly, why don't you go ahead and in the looker room? (laughs) Uh, why don't you go ahead and put that story, whatever it was that I told in the comments, if it's family friendly, I'd be interested in knowing what story I told. See if I could tell you now if it was a true story or not. It probably was. Um, yeah. So there you go. Uh, Aaron, you got down here, the expansion draft. You said there's a great tool on cat friendly. It's uh, catfriendly.com slash expansion dash draft slash Seattle. That's a whole heck of a lot going on in there. Uh, Paul has not been inside the sharks locker room. Yes. Not the sharks locker room. At the the locker room is uh, for Solar for America Ice, I think is what he was talking about, maybe. No, I think your story is you've never been into the Sharks locker room at SAP. You've always tried and never been oh. in, right? Well, no, but Gretzky Hour, you still get ready in the locker room, so maybe he's talking about that still. I don't know. But, uh, yes, I have not been in the Sharks locker room, and that is like probably the one place I haven't been in the uh, SAP center. And, yes, the more you know. Um, so I was... 
I think the the first season I was trying to hint hint nudge nudge with the sharks on that one and see if I can get myself a tour. But uh, yeah, I know, okay. especially not now with COVID and everything. There's no way yeah. to let me in there. But again, that tool on Cat Friendly, I gave you the address there. Uh, Aaron, you've got your own little cat friendly expansion drafting that you put together here, but it's a nice tool if you guys want to tinker around and see which guys are eligible, which guys are not. Now, again, the caveat here is that some of these guys would be eligible if they were signed beyond this season. So if Doug Wilson gives these guys a contract for one more year and they've already played their 27 or 54 games, depending on if it's one year or two years, right? This season or the last two seasons, 27 or 54 games played. If they had an extension, a one-year extension, which obviously you just sign the guy, they would also become eligible to get picked and plucked. So the rules are that you have to have at least two forwards that are eligible and one defenseman that's eligible. So after you protect everyone else, you have to have something for them to pick from. So if you were to have one out of two guys and you hadn't re-signed Sorensen or you hadn't re-signed, um, I don't know, Nason, for instance, Nason needs nine more games played. If he plays nine more games, he's eligible uh, to get picked up. So he becomes one of the two forwards that you could have on, the, on your roster that, that Seattle would be able to pick from, right? Otherwise, you have to make LeBanc or Meyer or Kane or somebody else available to them because you have to have at least two forwards. Same thing with a D. Uh, you need one D and, uh, of course, one goalie. The interesting thing with the goaltending was you have Martin Jones that would be eligible, but also uh, Joseph Koshinosh would be available as well. So you could protect Jones and still have a goaltender for them to pick up. Uh, which would be interesting. Although I don't know that necessarily you would need to protect Jones because I don't think that many people would want, or many teams, uh, including Seattle, would want to pick him up. But, you know, who knows? Maybe they need a, a goaltender that's decent and has uh, some pretty good salary to his name as well because, as you know, with expansion teams, it can be kind of hard to hit that ceiling sometimes. So uh, maybe they do go after him. Who knows? But you've got a graphic, I believe, of your roster. So if you want to go ahead and go ahead and share that with everybody right now, fire away. Yeah, so... What's cool is I was like, you know, I bet Cap Friendly has a thing on here where it does all the thinking for you, which it does. So uh, I'll show you in a second, but this is who I came up with. And for the Sharks, unfortunately, I picked Radim Shimmick to be picked. Um, but this is a pretty decent team. I was like, man, there's going to be some really good picks out of here um, that uh, this team, just like Vegas, is going to be really good. Now, I completely forgot. Vegas does not get to does not have a player taken from them get to well they don't get to participate <laughs> so when you go to seattle expansion draft what's cool is you can go through this whole scenario and it shows you which players uh, let me zoom out a little bit so it'll kind of go back into a, a better look here but um it shows you which players are eligible and which ones are not in terms of there we go so the check marks show you that they are eligible. Some of these they need twenty-seven games, like for Ryan Kessler, who's he's injured, he's not gonna be playing. But um, some of these show you how many games they need to be playing in order to be eligible, which could happen this year. I mean, some of these are low, like this is ten games. So when we go to the Sharks, this is a great exercise to see who is available and who is exempt. Um, so the goalies, we have three goalies here, but also it shows you if they're a UFA. Now Seattle could take somebody who's a UFA. Um, but then they would have to work a deal with them within a week or something. I think it's, it's not that big of a turnaround. Um, and players that have full, no movement clause, such as Eric Carlson and Vlasic are automatically kept. There's no way around it. So this is a good exercise to show you who it was. So when I picked the forwards, I said, okay, you're going to keep him, keep him, keep him. 
probably keep LeBanc. Maybe not Donato since he's a RFA. And then Burns. And there you go. Oh, we need how many more? Um, how many goal? How many? Seven forwards and three defensemen. There you go. Or eight skaters. And or yeah, you see, Nason needs nine more games. Balsers needs sixteen, which he might actually hit because he's playing pretty well. So mm-hmm. that might be another guy that's going to get exposed. Um, I want to point out real quick though, if you look at the exposure requirement over there, it says zero of two for forwards. So you have to have two players that will be able to satisfy that requirement. So for this scenario, uh, Marcus Sorensen would need to be signed to a contract extension because you see he's got that check mark there on the right. And Steph Nason would need to just play nine games and again, be signed to an extension. So that would fulfill the two forwards that need to be um, open and available. Yep. Which basically means they're either taking one of Martin Jones or Koshinash, whoever you didn't protect, or they're going to, you could say goodbye to, to Shimmick. Right. And I feel like that's why they did re-sign Koronash because I think he was, he signed a one-year contract, right? So that they had another goalie probably to expose. Probably. Uh, yeah. Cause the sharks could be trading Dubnik away at the deadline. Cause his cap hit is so low. Um, Cause remember Minnesota is keeping parts of his salary. So, Anyway, it's a good exercise. To me, this shows that the Sharks are not going to be – right now, they don't meet the requirements. So I think there's going to be moves coming. There's obviously going to be moves coming. Okay. I want to call out something Anthony Sanchez says. Losing Shimmick to the draft will not hurt the Sharks. He's a bottom-pairing defenseman. I completely disagree. And He may be a bottom-pairing defenseman, but that hurts the Sharks. In my mind, it does. I now, granted, granted. When we had the AHL replacements come in, they played admirably, 100%. Um, but I think Shimmick is a really big part of this defense, uh, even if he's considered a bottom-pairing guy. Um, that's just my take on him. I like him a lot. I think he's he's a, a really big part of this team. He steps up big physically. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I would really hate to lose, lose Shimmick in that one there. Yeah. Uh, regarding Sorensen and Nason, he says they will not be re-signed. I'm not necessarily advocating for re-signing them to be on the team. I'm saying if you did give them extensions, then you don't have to expose the other guys, the other forwards. So you would expose Sorensen and Nason and keep everybody else to yourself. That that was my point on that one. It's not that I, I think that necessarily they need to be extended. They need to come back. Because um, I think both of those guys, 100%, I'm in your camp with them being expendable, not so much Shimmick. So the only reason I would re-sign them is to give the requirement so that Seattle has to pick, if they're going to pick a forward, one of those forwards, not one of the other guys. Because even if you could protect them all, if you don't expose two, you have to show one of the other guys that you would want to protect because somebody has to be exposed for them to pick. So in this case, I would sign them just to make them um, exposed and expendable. There you go. I don't know. To me, I wouldn't miss Shimmick that much. If he got taken, but that's, I'm sorry. I mean, I love Shimmick, but uh, almost better for him to get moved. Maybe he even gets more ice time in Seattle than he does in San Jose. For him, him as a personal player, you always, to me, people get so attached to players that they forget that it's a business for one. And two, the players don't 
care that much where they play, at least, you know, the non-elite players where they could probably choose where they want to play. A lot of guys will just sign so they can play. I mean, they're playing the NHL. Who cares what jersey they're wearing? Um, and to me, that that would be Shimmick because he's happy to be in the NHL. He's not going to care what team he's on. He's never going to be a top pairing guy or, or you know, one of the best best people so or best players. So, um, that yeah, people just get too attached. Sorry, sorry, Paul. Wrong. Everyone wants to be in San Jose. You're wrong. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I want to call it Matt F here. Actually, uh, they can always find a new bottom pair D man in free agency. Absolutely, hundred uh, percent. And and yes, I'm sure Shimmick is absolutely replaceable. For me, uh, I just I love the way that the guy uh, the the way he plays the game. He's not just a filler for me. He's a guy that steps up in in big situations, and he's a guy that you can play on the bottom pair. You can put him with Burns on the top. Uh, it doesn't really matter where you play him. He plays the same style of game. And he does it effectively, I think, um, at least from a physical standpoint and, and defensively and whatnot. So I really like the guy. I think he does everything right. And I don't think he costs too much either. So I, I would prefer to keep him if I could. Uh, if it meant giving up Burns in the expansion draft instead, then obviously uh, goodbye. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I like the way the guy plays. I don't have any problems with him. So yeah, like Ferraro's, Ferraro's uh, uh, play has made him expendable. Because now Ferraro's taking that spot and Shimmick's now on the bottom pairing. So that's why it's not so bad that he's going to be, he possibly could be um, expendable in the draft. Yeah, I, I think realistically he's the guy. He's the guy that's going to get moved. Because um, I mean, for the reasons that I like him, you know, I think other teams are going to look at him and go, man, this is a guy that plays a, a hard, solid game, good defensively. And he's willing to throw his body around. You know, he he plays the game the right way uh, as a defensive style of defenseman. So, um, I, yeah, I, I definitely think that he gets picked up and for all the right reasons. So, uh, there you go. That's my take on Shimmick. But I, I'd be sad to see him go. Uh, Matt, I'm trying to, trying to uh, console me here a bit. It says, it's okay, Paul. We'll be here for support when he's gone. Uh, I appreciate you, Matt. Thank you so much. Um, Aaron, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the next games coming up here. It's uh, Monday, and then, of course, Friday, Saturday. Now, Monday is a game against St. Louis. We will not be doing a show right after the St. Louis game on Monday. We're going to do our show basically after the second of the two-game miniseries, we'll call it. And since St. Louis is kind of a a one-and-done by itself, not part of a two-game series, we're going to let that one go and then move into the next two-game series, which is against Anaheim. Again, a back-to-back Friday, Saturday. So essentially, our show's will be every Saturday because we have Friday, Saturday, back-to-back games uh, against the same team for the rest of the season. But then we also have uh, some instances where we have a two-game miniseries prior to that in the week, in which case we will do a show. This week is not one of those because of the single uh, lone St. Louis game. So um, the St. Louis game on Monday is a 6 p.m. game. Aaron, talk to me about this game. What are you expecting to see? Can we see a a bounce back from today's game and a hard push against a pretty good St. Louis team, or are we just waiting to roll over again? I don't know. I think it's going to depend if Timo Meyer is going to be back. Um, I think they have a better chance. I feel like the Sharks kind of have the blues number, not that they're going to, you know, dominate or beat them completely, but I feel like they play well against St. Louis. Um, They look decent. They don't look completely like blown out in the game. So I have a feeling the Sharks are going to bounce back and play hard. I don't know if they're going to win, but I don't think it'll be a 4 nothing drubbing. How about that? It'll be a closer game. Okay. I, I, what do you I think? I can see that. 
<laughs> Who knows? Uh, how about Anaheim? Anaheim, obviously the weaker of the teams there. Uh, last time around, we uh, we beat up on them pretty good, I thought. Um, and then Ryan Getzlaff was kind of out for a while. He's back now. And and uh, I think the last time we played him, he was back in the lineup as well. So I believe he's back in the lineup for these couple games as well. So I don't know. What are you thinking about these ones? I think these are definitely winnable games by the Sharks, even with a depleted roster, even if you know, Timo Meyer, his his nagging injury takes him, you know, the full week to recover and we only get him for one of those two games. And maybe uh we should have Hurdle back by then if if that's correct. Yeah, I think I think these are winnable games, Anaheim and Sharks. It's gonna be a race to the bottom of the division with these two, unfortunately. <laughs> Whoever's gonna get the better draft pick. So I don't know if it's better or worse that we beat them. Uh at this point, we're just gonna be hurting our draft position. But um, I'm looking at their record right now. They have three games, uh, or the Sharks have three games in hand against Anaheim. So Anaheim's played more. They currently have one more point than the Sharks, but the Sharks have three games in hand. So uh, their win percentage is at 400, and the Sharks are at 432. Um, so the Sharks should win this game. Uh, what helps is it's back to back. So they're not going to get play. Most likely, they're not going to play against Gibson uh, in back to back. So. Gibson is an elite goalie in the league and he gives the Sharks problems, but I think um, they should definitely win at least one of these in, in regulation. And if not, then man, man, this season couldn't end fast enough if they lose <laughs> both games against Anaheim. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Tell, yeah. Fair enough. Tell, I'm a little salty. I'm a little bitter about this year. It's just, it's hard. It's hard. You know what, though, Aaron? Here's the thing. So if you're expecting us to be a, a, a poor team and get a good draft position and lose a bunch of games, you can't be upset if we lose. No, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm not upset. I'm just kind of like, oh, thank God it's a short season. How about that? In, in fact, in fact, the last the last little topic here before we get to the picture, I think, is something I, I feel like you wanted to bring up beforehand um, where we talk about the expectations from the fans and the reaction from the fans, you know, everyone's expecting us to be bad. Oh, this team is going to, this team is terrible. We suck. Uh, these guys are going to beat up on us. And then when it actually happens, it's, Oh my God, I can't believe why, why are we so bad? It's the, I, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a catch right to you. Can't one way or the other, you just can't please anybody. But uh, I don't know. It's like they, they know we're going to lose. They expect we're going to lose. And then when we lose, they're like, why did we lose? Uh, well, what's, what's your take on that? Uh, yes. I think I, I kind of went on a, a Twitter tirade, I think last week doing a whole thread on this, like basically would the Sharks fans know a tank when they see a tank? I don't think so because Doug Wilson's not going to sell off every single player in one day, which is what, you know, in the Twitter world, that's media gratification is what they want. They want everyone to be sold. Doug Wilson's not doing anything. He needs to be fired because he's not moving anybody and this team is garbage. Well, he's not <laughs> going to be moving players in one day and just selling the selling the team and being like, yep, we're tanking, you know, that no team does that. So to me, I think um, I'm, he's always working the phones. He's always seeing what's out there. I'm sure people are kicking the tires and seeing what they can get out of the sharks. Um, and it's a waiting game, really. I mean, for him, why does he have to sell right away? Wait till the trade deadline. Cause then teams are going to get more desperate. They're going to throw more stuff at you and you're going to get a better return on your assets. To me, that's what's going to happen this year. To me, I think the Sharks are going to be big sellers at the trade deadline as much as they can. Um, and again, they're going to try and get as many prospects and picks on their way back. So I am um, I'm confident that this is not so much a tank job. They're not going to try and get the first overall pick. Um, plus, there's a lottery involved. So 
even if you're the worst team going into the draft, you're, there's no guarantee that you're going to get the first overall pick. Um, and there's no star stud athlete. And this, this, you know, someone asked a question about this earlier, if they're going to push the the draft back, it's funky because, because of COVID, there's a lot of these players, the evaluations, I think they're going to be all over the place. Um, a lot of these guys aren't even playing or they're playing very minimal games. So it's harder to evaluate talent, especially since these guys' seasons were cut short a year ago. Um, imagine like what recruiting for colleges, right? For high schools and colleges or recruiting out of high schools, high school athletes haven't played in the last two seasons. So how do you evaluate scholarships and who's going to play and who's not? You have to go off a video from when they were 15, 16 years old. That's not an easy thing to do because there's a big development curve from a 16 year old versus an 18 year old. So I think it's going to be a very odd year in the draft this year, regardless of where you, where you pick and it's going to be a crapshoot. So I don't think it's necessarily a good thing that they completely tank and get a top three draft pick. That's my take. What do you yeah. think? No, good. I'm I'm fine with that. I think if if you know you're not going to be making the playoffs and you're obviously trading away your assets and whatnot, then uh, you know get get as much as you can. Obviously, I think every team does that. So um, I don't think that that's one thing that would make Doug Wilson a better or worse GM. It's a matter of how much can he get for those assets that makes him a better or worse GM, right? So um, I, for me, that's that's the way I see it. I think every team in in the position that the Sharks are in would do the exact same thing. Every GM would be looking to do the exact same thing. There's no um, there's no confusion that maybe I should trade this player away or maybe I shouldn't. If you're if you're going to be not a playoff team and you're going to be uh, hopefully going through a little bit of a building process there and there's a guy that's expiring on your roster, yes, absolutely. You trade him away, you get everything you can. And of course, the lower you can get, the better. But I like what you said, there's a lottery. Somebody has to win that. Just because you're very low and you have a high chance doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get the pick that you're slotted in to get uh, prior to the the, the the lottery there. So um, yeah, no, I, I think you know it'd be nice for us to get a pick finally that's higher than what was it? Ninth was uh, Timo Meyer, I think. Um, it, it'd be great to have a guy that's that's uh, way high up in the draft, really high skill level, uh, a prospect that's uh, a phenomenal guy uh, to pick up. But I saw something from Anthony Sanchez here on that same topic. Scary thought that would absolutely complete this awful season if the Sharks got a top three pick and that player becomes a dud. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Wouldn't that suck? Now, here's where I go back again and say, gosh, um, if not for the price tag, would I give up a first for Jack Eichel? Yeah, I would do that. But if not for the price tag, why? Because I know exactly what I'm getting with Jack Eichel, right? With the third round pick or third overall pick. Do I know what I'm going to get? No, not necessarily. There have been plenty of guys that went in the first round that turned out to be duds. So again, that's where I see the mentality from Doug Wilson saying, I'm going to take my picks and use them as currency to get something that I need. Because going in through the draft and getting something that you need doesn't necessarily mean he's going to pan out to be the thing that you need, right? There's still some uncertainty there. There, You think may think it's a sure thing. A lot of guys think it's a sure thing. And then when they actually make it to the show, not always the case. But when you've got somebody who's in the NHL and who's, you see exactly what they're capable of against this caliber of talent and you give your asset up for that, right? To me, that's, that's just as good as using that pick on a guy that you're not sure about. So... That's my whole take on that. I don't have a problem with uh, Doug Wilson using uh, uh, the draft picks as currency. And I'm sure a lot of you would like to have 
the fresh new young guy on the block, that's all well and good. But again, like Anthony said, if he turns out to be a dud, then everyone's going to say, oh, Doug Wilson, he can't draft and oh, everything else, right? So even if that guy was slotted uh, by, by central scouting to be the third overall or whatever, right? It doesn't matter. If you picked him, then it's your fault if he wasn't good. So Sharks, Sharks window for a cup was from 2005 when they got Joe Thornton through two years ago. Yeah. Big window. Yeah. And it sucks they didn't win a cup, but they had a chance almost every single year, minus one or two years. Yeah. That's impressive. Absolutely. And that's, and that's why our draft picks have been so bad. The, the number on, on the draft pick has always been so bad. We've been up in the 20s every single time. Um, real quick, before we get to the picture here, I just want to say, uh, Dr. Hook, I read that what you said that I said about the story. I don't recall that story, but it doesn't sound like something I would have made up. So I'm, I'm just going to say it's probably true. And um, I just wanted to address that because I don't want to leave you hanging. Anyway, moving on, Aaron, let's go ahead and get to the, uh, the picture time here. And uh, we'll go from there. This is fantastic. It's actually a throwback to episode number five that we had when we were on set. This Paul saying, hey, look, we're doing number five. <laughs> we had. Uh, what man, is that face? Probably less than 100 subscribers, I think, at this point, wasn't it? <laughs> this is in, in studio. This is in producer Jason's uh, garage is where our set used to be. Now we're in our own homes doing remote. Yeah. Uh, who knows? That might change soon here. Um, but yeah, here you go. Episode five. This is in, in July, July of 2018. Man, this was before the Carlson trade, by the way. So yeah. before we knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Oh, uh, younger days, huh? Look at that. We look like two years younger. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, I'm just trying to figure out, first of all, you can see the garage door in the background. Uh, yeah. That kind of gives you, Pulling the veil back uh, on the magic there, um, but what what is this face you're making? Me? Yes. Ooh, number five. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is a picture I think I posted on Instagram a long time ago, like right before we started recording. Uh, I like Matt F says the old set. Tell the gully stick story again. I'm not telling that story again, man. We'll get. Well, maybe another time we'll do it. That's not even the gully stick. That's not the same stick. It's not. It's definitely not the same stick. No, that's an autograph stick from like I don't remember what yeah. year, 2007 or something. Doctor Hood says uh, I got five on it. I'm guessing that's a reference to my my five on the hand there. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor Hook. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, anything else here? Should we wrap this up? Let's wrap it up. Let's okay, go. we're gonna put a nice pretty bow on this one here, guys. This was episode number 107. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, we really appreciate all you guys that retweeted and shared on Facebook and, and everything else, basically trying to help us get our, our names back out there. Uh, it's been a really rough road this season for the San Jose Sharks. And the worse they play, the harder it is for viewership and whatnot. So the more you guys can help us out and uh, kind of make everyone else's day a little bit brighter. I feel like we're, the, we're a show that doesn't dwell on the negative so much. In a season where the Sharks are absolutely not getting it done, where there's not a whole lot of highlights to check out and really be proud of. And they're not having all of the wins that we'd like to have. And the wins that we do have are ones that they're squeakers mostly, right? Uh, in a season like this, uh, I, I feel like we're as positive as we possibly can be. Always got the smiles on and everything else and having a good time. And a lot of that has to do with you guys as well. So 
yes, Bowie, this season has aged you both. Thank you for for that. Uh, I think Anthony. Um, but in, in a season like this, you know, again, if we can help other people that are Sharks fans not be so down, I don't know if any of you guys are on Facebook and the Facebook groups, but if you're in there, um, that that group is just toxic. I'm sorry if you're a part of that group. I apologize, but that group is toxic, um, and it's just a, it's a bad bad place. Don't go there. It's a bad, bad place. Um, so anyway, I feel like we're not one of those bad, bad places. So uh, if you are able to share with any of your friends and family, get them in here, get them talking, uh, maybe pump their spirits up a little bit. And uh, we, we would appreciate that as well. So again, for anybody who did retweet or share, we appreciate you very much. Lundy, thank you so much again for that 399 earlier today. Uh, in the in the show here. Uh, he's a constant contributor to the show. I want to say thank you once again. If anybody else would like to contribute to the show, again, Super Chat is available to you, but you can also use Venmo at The Fin Factor. Thank you, Super Producer Jason. You can put the tip down there. That way, uh, the, <coughs> the YouTube, if you will, uh, doesn't get a cut of that. So uh, I know some people were... We're saying we want to be able to, to support you guys directly. So there you go. Uh, another way you can support the show, thefinfactor.com. Pick up a T-shirt, a hat, a sticker, uh, or a, a batch of stickers, I guess. They come in threes. So uh, any one of those will help support the show as well. And again, anything that does support the show does uh, go right back into the show. It doesn't go into our pockets. So we do appreciate everything that we can get from you guys uh, in terms of support. And uh, I just want to say thank you once again. Aaron, any last little comments here? Nope. We'll see you on uh, Saturday night. For Super Producer Jason, I'm Paul. I'm Aaron. And we'll see you Saturday night. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. See you guys. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this episode, check out our other content, especially interviews. You can interact with us directly through social media at The Fin Factor and on Instagram at Fin Factor. And don't forget to join our live streams on YouTube. Visit our website at thefinfactor.com, where you'll find all of our episodes as videos or podcasts. You'll also find our exclusive merchandise to help support our show.